Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. We're starting a three-part series of podcasts entitled What to Do When Your Back is Against the Wall. And what we're going to be dealing with is what to do when the stress is so, so much, the pressures of life are so much that you're, you're having to deal with anxiety, possibly panic attacks, the, the fallout of depression. What do you do? And all of this is taken from the story of David before he became king, when there was a period of time of years where he was dealing with the daily threat of death and and how he dealt with it. And there's about 19 to 20 things that he did that we can learn from, lessons that we can learn from in order for us to know what to do when our back is against the wall. So today we're going to look be looking at seven of those 19 or 20 uh, reactions and proactive actions that we can take when our back is against the wall. So listen in and be blessed. And, um, but let's just give a real quick backstory to David because that's where the series comes from. David was the youngest of eight brothers. He was the pipsqueak. He was the runt of the litter. And his brothers made him feel like he was the little one, the, the, the last in line. Um, he was chosen. David was chosen at a young age, probably as a teenager, as a young teenager. Uh, he was chosen by the prophet Samuel, anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king over Israel while King Saul was still king over Israel. Um, God makes promises to you sometimes that you're like, I don't know how that'll ever happen. <laughs> how is this ever going to happen? Look, how can I be king if there's King Saul? And look, he's tall and strong and famous. And how am I ever going to be king? But you know what? God chose David when it seemed impossible. And God is choosing you when it seems impossible as well. And so uh, the other thing that we know about David is he killed Goliath. Uh, again, probably as a teenager. We won't go through that story. Uh, he was still young when he became a high-ranking official in the army of Israel. Saul took notice of him, obviously, after he killed Goliath, and they routed the Philistines. The Philistines were the arch enemy of Israel, routed, Israel, uh, routed the Philistines. So he got promoted, pulled into the army, and given a high-ranking uh, post in the army. David married Saul's daughter and became the son-in-law of the king. Isn't that amazing? How quickly, when you look at things, you say this is impossible, how quickly God can make things all of a sudden open up a door that wasn't open before and make things happen. Don't give up. If God promised it, he is going to make sure that it happens. You know what? We need some persistence. We need to be a little bit tougher and not give up when the odds are against us because they were certainly against, uh, against David. Well, things are going good. He's the son-in-law to, the, to the, the, the king. But you know what? Saul started growing very jealous of David. He started hearing a tune sung out by the, uh, the young ladies saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. <laughs> that would be enough to get you a little bit jealous, right? So jealous that Saul started thinking about taking David's life and getting rid of this, 
this little guy. In fact, he'd send him out against the Philistines, hoping that he would die. But you know, he always came back victorious. <laughs> when someone has it in for you, God's still on your side. And you can still come back victorious over and over again, even though the odds are against you. God is on your side. He's with you. He said he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Well, when David realized that Saul wanted to kill him, he escaped and ran for his life. I don't know how old David was, but he was still very young. He still possibly could have been 18, 19, 20. A young guy. And he was in this state of running for years. Have you been in a situation that just doesn't seem to ever get resolved? And it just goes on and on and on and on. And you're praying, God, when are you going to... The word says that you're going to, going to help me, that you're going to heal me, that you're going to take care of this. But I don't see it happening. Don't give up. Don't give up. David could have easily given up. He did escape. He did run for his life. But through this period of time, between the time when he ran away and eventually became king, we can learn a lot about what to do when your back is against the wall. What you do when your back is against the wall. Now, you know, I think we all understand what that means. But when your back is against the wall is when you're stressed. When the pressure is coming in on you and, and you can't get away from you, you have panic attacks, you're anxious, you're fearful, you dread every day because you see what the cliff is right there that you feel like the precipice that you're about to fall off of. You know, uh, we all have those precipices, we all have those cliffs that seem like, you know what, if something doesn't change, I'm falling right off the edge of this and it's going to be over for me. And you know, the other day I was praying, actually a few weeks ago I was praying and thinking about some cliffs that I see coming. And you know what the Lord told me? He said, Steve, you're always going to have a cliff in front of you. <laughs> you're always going to have the devil telling you and threatening you it's about over in this area of your life or for a loved one or, or for a friend or situation. But you know what? God is always going to make a way where there seems to be no way. He's always going to do it. So we've got to start being courageous and bold and brave and say, you know what? I'm going to face this cliff and God is going to take me right over it, right through it, over it, under it. I don't know, but I'm getting across this thing and God is going to help me and God is going to help you. He's going to get you through this. So we're going to start on about 19 things you can do when your back is against the wall. About 19. We're going to cover seven of them this morning. So if you're taking notes, uh, you can do that. We're also recording this, and you can listen to it throughout the week. But here goes. We're starting in, in 1 Samuel 20, verse 42. And uh, Jonathan, so we got to get our characters squared away in our mind, who all of these are, this cast of players. But Jonathan was Saul's son. He was the prince the crown prince of Israel. And guess what? It's crazy how things work out. Jonathan and David became tight friends. Even though Saul, Jonathan's father, wanted to kill him, <laughs> Jonathan and David were tight. They were best friends. 
And Jonathan has confirmed to David that his dad, in fact, wants to kill him. See, at first, Jonathan didn't believe. He said, David, you're crazy. My dad didn't want to kill you. Just, just come. come to." They were having a feast. He said, don't worry about it. Come take your place. And David said, no, your dad wants to kill me. And, and so in, in, Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42, David, or Jonathan agrees, David, you're right. My dad does want to kill you. And you know what? What are you worried about? You worried about what a doctor's telling you about a sickness? Are you worried about your finances? You worried about a son or daughter that's not serving the Lord? Are you worried about a situation? What if your worry was that you're going to die tomorrow because somebody's going to murder you? What if that was your worry? To put it into perspective, David had his back against the wall. If you're stressed, he was stressed even more. If you're worried, he was worried even more. Okay, so this is, this is big time. And so Jonathan says, go in peace. He tells David, his friend, go in peace. Another's get out of here. <laughs> he says, for we have sworn friendship to each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And look at this. Then David left. Then David left. Let me tell you what. When, when your back's against the wall, when you're stressed out, You've got to do what you've got to do. You've got to do what you've got to do. What does that mean? When you're, when you're in a tough situation, you've got to make tough decisions. And so often when we're in a tough situation, we get paralyzed by fear and we don't do anything. We don't do anything. We don't do right. We don't do wrong. We don't do good. We don't do bad. We're just paralyzed. Let me tell you what. Don't let your situation paralyze you. Do what you've got to do. Now, it does mean that you could make a bad decision, but don't let that fear of making a bad decision paralyze you. Talk to the Lord and say, God, I've got to make some tough decisions, some decisions that I'm not going to like, maybe someone else is not going to like, but I've got to make this, these decisions. If you're in an abusive situation, you need to leave. You need to get out. Don't stay in an abusive situation. You've got to make a tough decision. If you see a loved one making bad decisions over and over again, maybe you need to get in their face and confront them and say, you need to stop this. You're headed for disaster. Is that going to make you, uh, make you uncomfortable to confront somebody? Yes. But you've got to make a tough decision. You've got to do what you've got to do. If your spouse has divorced you, you've got to move on. It's time to move on. It's time to make a tough decision. If you find yourself with less money, you need to make change your spending, uh, your spending habits. Make tough decisions. All right, well, let's move on. Does that help anybody? <laughs> All right. A lot of times, man, you just you gotta you gotta pull it together and do what you've got to do. But look at the second thing here. He was Hey, I, I, let me tell you the story first before I, I throw up here on the screen. So here's David. He runs off. He doesn't have an extra pair of clothes. He doesn't have food. He doesn't have a weapon, even though he's a general in the army. He doesn't have anything. He runs. Jonathan and him part ways. He literally just runs off. And he comes uh, to this town called Nob, N-O-B, he comes to this town of Nob, and it's a town of priests. It's where there's probably about 80-some-odd people, men, men there, 85. And he comes to the town of Nob, and he talks to the 
head priest there, and he says, give me what you got. <laughs> I don't have clothes. I don't have food. In fact, he asked, he didn't even say, give me what you got. He says, what do you have that you can give me? And the priest says, you know what? All we have is some fresh bread here, but this is no, no, this isn't any ordinary bread. This is the bread, the, the bread of the presence. And you see, every morning the priest would take a fresh batch of the probably the best dough. They would bake it and they would put it there in front of the presence of the Lord as an offering. And, and you know what David says? Give me it. <laughs> Give me the bread. He says, do you have any weapons? Do you have anything else? He says, well, you know what? Curious, but we have the, the sword of Goliath that you killed. He said, give it to me. I know no other better sword than the sword of Goliath. And you know what I saw from this, and this blessed me so much two or three weeks ago when I read this, is when your back's against the wall, ask for something holy. Ask for something holy. You know what? When you're desperate, you'll ask for anything. And David was bold enough to say, give me the bread of the presence. I'm dying of hunger here. Give me the sword of Goliath. I need a weapon here. I am desperate. When your back is against the wall, when you're stressed out, look to heaven, look to God and say, give me something holy. I'm desperate here. You say, well, how does that apply to me? Well, in many ways. <laughs> um, you know what? When Moses was in the desert taking over two million people across the desert, he turned to God and he says, I'm not going anywhere unless your presence goes with me. He asked for something holy. I'm not going, God, unless you go with me. He asked for something holy. When Solomon was a new king, he didn't know how to rule. He didn't know how to reign. He was, he was terrified. You know what? He asked for something holy. He said, God, give me wisdom to rule this people. I don't know how to lead. I've never led before. He was bold and he said, give me something holy. Give me the wisdom of heaven. I need it. When Peter was there on the boat and he saw Jesus walking across the water, he said, call me out. Let me walk on water. He asked for a miracle. He asked for something holy. He was bold. When you're desperate, you should get bold with God. God says, the Bible says, you know what? Come before the throne of grace boldly and ask for help in your time of need. When Jacob was wrestling with that angel or, or the, it would appear the angel of the Lord, he's wrestling with him. He said, I'm not letting you go. He'd wrestled all night long. He said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. We need to get serious with God in our, in our desperate times and say, God, I need healing. God, I need peace. God, I need strength. God, give me courage. God, do something in my, I need a miracle, God, and ask for what's holy. Well, let's, let's read on here. David does what many of us do. He made a rash decision. He got his bread, <laughs> he got his sword, and he ran straight into his enemy's territory. He went to the Philistine territory. He went to the place where he'd already killed a bunch of Philistine soldiers. He'd 
killed Goliath for crying out loud. They knew who he was. He made a rash decision and he went to the wrong place. And you and I can, when we're desperate, we can make those bad decisions. We can go to the wrong place. We can go to the wrong people for advice. We can, we can go out and say, I've, I've had it tonight. I'm going to go party. I'm going to go get drunk because I am, I'm having a bad day. I need a stiff drink. You can make a bad decision. But you know what David did? He quickly reversed and got out of where he went to. And the story's funny. He goes to Achish, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, king of Gath in the Philistine territory. He gets there and he starts realizing these guys do not like me very much. <laughs> and so he starts acting like a crazy person. The story goes that he starts letting saliva go down his beard. He starts going up to doors and writing, marking, marking on the doors like graffiti and starts doing things. And the king, king says, am I short on madmen that you bring me another one to this place? And David quickly escapes and runs to the cave of Adullam. He reversed his bad decision. When you make a bad decision, don't then just make another bad decision and then another bad decision and get into a worse situation than you already are. Reverse it. Get out and get back to ground zero so that you can start back off again. All right? So when you make a bad decision, a rash decision, reverse it. But here's the crazy thing, and this is a little bit of a rabbit hole, but, but bear with me. When all of this happened, David wrote, psalms 34 <laughs> after he'd made this bad decision he escapes the philistines he goes into this cave he writes psalms 34 which just happens to be one of my favorite psalms in the whole bible one of the, my favorite chapters in the whole bible and let's just as you see the context of of this situation and him writing i can't help but read you some of the scriptures from psalms 34 so that you see oh that's why david wrote that <laughs> his back was against the wall but yet his attitude his victorious attitude shines through psalms 34 here is an immature godly person writing psalms 34 we write we write we read psalms 34 and believe oh my word psalm you know david was such a mature godly powerful this was when he was you know, young adult maybe a late teenager he wrote Psalms 34, and look at this, inspired clearly by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying this, but you still have to remember who wrote this physically as a man. Psalms 34, verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. This is a guy that was being hunted down. He was living day to day thinking his next day was his last day. And what did he say? I will extol the Lord. In other words, I will praise him enthusiastically. I was watching the Rams and the, the, the Bengals. It was not the Bengals. The uh, Bengals? That still shocks me. They were in the Super Bowl. Anyways, I was watching them, and when L.A. finally made that last touchdown, I came. We were sitting right here. We had a couch right here watching. I came out of the screaming. Kyle and I were, you know, high-fiving. We're so excited, man. That's to extol something, is to be so excited that you say something loud, <laughs> that you scream, that you yell, that you jump into. That's what David, here's, he's in the cave. He's just, <laughs> he just narrowly escaped from the Philistines, 
and he's extolling the Lord. You know what? I've been in, in pickles. I've been in bad situations. I come to church, and I just throw it all off, and I just praise God. God is good. I don't know what Monday morning is going to be like, but I'm praising God. I'm glorifying God. God is awesome. God, you're amazing. I may not survive to see tomorrow, but you are awesome. That's the best kind of praise. That's the most awesome kind of praise right there. He says in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. He's in the cave writing on a scroll or something. All these wonders of God. Verse 5, he says, those who look to you, God, are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. See, he'd, he'd experienced shame. Acting like a crazy person, acting like the fool, you know. But he says, you know what? When I look to God, my face isn't covered with shame. He says, this poor man, in verse 6, this poor man calling the Lord heard him. And he saved him out of all his troubles. Even though tomorrow I may not be living. God has saved me from all my troubles from this point. As far as I can remember, God has always helped me. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Wow, the eyes of the Lord on the righteous in verse 15 and his ears are attentive to their cry. You see, David's writing this in the cave when he's just, he's just narrowly escaped a bad situation that he himself created. I challenge you, read Psalms 34 with this context. You will love it. And you'll be able, be able to apply it to your stressful situation. Let's read on in 1 Samuel, now chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. David left Gath, escaped to the cave, the cave of Adullam, as I just mentioned. When his brothers and his father's household heard about this, they went down to him there. Now, you got to get this. His, he was cool with his dad. But his brothers did not like David. <laughs> they, they were jealous of David. When he came to see Goliath before he, he knocked out Goliath, his oldest brother said, get out of here. Go back and tend your sheep in the desert. What are you trying to do? You're, you, his brother, you know why his brothers didn't like him? Is because they had heard the prophet Samuel. They were all lined up. They're his big, tall brother. It, Samuel goes up to anoint him, and the Lord says, no, it's not him. I have rejected him. He said, no, you're not the one. How would you feel if you weren't the one and God had chosen your little sibling? You'd have a little bit of jealousy as well, all right? And so here his brothers come to David at his lowest point and are reconciled with David. Are reconciled. Now, Javier is not here this morning. Javier is having, struggling with kidney failure, just got through covid but you know what Javier told me on the phone? He said, you know what? Yes, I want healing. But he said, through all this, I have met some of the nicest people, nurses, doctors. I, I've, I've gotten to know people that I would have never known had this not happened. And you know what? When you're going through your stressful time, there's little patches of sunshine where you just, you meet somebody, you talk to somebody, and, and it's just wonderful and it's encouraging and it blesses you. And David was reconciled with his family. Look for God to do something good when you're in a bad situation. To fix another problem that maybe you had given up on 
<laughs> and God says, no, you know what? I'm going to fix this one. Now, your big problem's still here, but look, we just experienced a miraculous reconciliation that you'd been asking me for for decades, and look, it just happened. Isn't that wonderful? Look for those patches of sunshine. Look for those blessings along the way. It says in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 22, all of those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. In one day, it seems, and it probably wasn't one day, but very quickly, David went from being alone to having friends, <laughs> to having a support system. Now, it's a discontented group of people, all, albeit. But you know what? These very men became David's mighty men down the path. The people that you see that say, oh, God, this person's never going to mount the hill of beans. God saying, no, I'm going to do something mighty in this person's life. Accept the people that God has surrounded you with. And bless them, let them bless you. You are going to become mighty together. Mighty together. I just, I just absolutely love that. He was reconciled to his family and befriended people who he probably would have avoided otherwise. God's amazing the way he does things. So, let's read on here. In, in 1 Samuel 22, verse 5, David takes his 400 men. Uh, he, he puts his... His parents in safety in Moab, again, he does what he has to do. And they go up into a desert stronghold, a place where he feels like he might be able to take a little breather, be relaxed, stress is still there, but at least he can, he can feel safe. And guess what? This prophet, Gad, says to David, he says, do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. In other words, go towards where your danger is. <laughs> so David left and went to the forest of Hereth. All right. You know what? When your back's against the wall, seek godly counsel. Here was David. He thought he knew what was right, but the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all your ways and he will direct your path. Seek godly advice when you don't know what to do. <laughs> Seek godly advice when the pressure is coming in on you. It's, it's weighing on you. In Proverbs 12, 15, the Bible tells us that the way of fools seems right to them. All right? But the wise listen to advice. I love to listen to godly advice. I'm open, man. Tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I'd rather you tell me that I'm wrong than I go hit myself against a, a rock wall and figure it out for myself. The more advice I can get, the better off that I am. And I look for godly advice all the time, especially from the likes of my wonderful wife. She gives me godly advice all the time. And I get advice from you. I get godly advice from my mom and from my dad. I love advice, and you should like advice as well because we learn from it. All right? Number six. Hey, we're almost done here, but this is good. Isn't this helpful? God is going to use this and help us this week with this, this good advice. Speaking of advice. All right, here's, the, here's, here's where tragedy strikes. When David was there uh, getting that bread, getting the sword, there was a spy from the king there. And it, I don't think it 
was meant to happen this way, but it was Saul's chief shepherd, Dog. I'd call him Dog, because he was a dog. All right, but Dog the Edomite, and Dog the Edomite oversaw all the the shepherding for the king. And Saul was getting frustrated one day. He said, every time I try to find David, you know, he's, he's off here and off there. Who of you are spies here that's telling everything that's going on? And so Dog, the shepherd, he says, you know what? I, was, I actually saw David. He was there with the priests at Nob, and uh, I saw him. And the priests at Nob know right where he's at. And so Saul brings in the priests. And he questions him, he interrogates him. And I'm not going to go through that whole story, but tragically, Saul has the priest killed, the 85 other priests in that town killed, all the women, children, and infants, the Bible says, killed there. Now, how would you as David feel that you had something to do with that bloodshed? But you know what? David took responsibility for it, but he didn't excessively blame himself. You can, when your back's against the wall, the enemy is talking in your ear day and night. You, you, you. He's the accuser of the brother, and he's constantly trying to blame you for things that you've done and things that you haven't done. But you know what? David did not allow himself to take excessive blame for that horrible tragedy. I think I would have been very tempted to fall into deep, deep depression because I was there and I may have been the cause of this. But David didn't allow that to happen. You've got to listen. When your back's against the wall, you've got to listen to the voice of God and distinguish between the condemning voice of the enemy and the encouraging voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Make up your mind who you're going to listen to. Look at this. We'll, we'll end with this one. We, we go, move on to 1 Samuel 23. And David learns something that he uses the rest of his life starting right here, apparently, in these scriptures. David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kelia uh, or Kale. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. And they're looting the threshold. So there's this town. David's not in the town. It's a town in, in a distance. And the Philistines are fighting against that, that town. What does David do? He inquires of the Lord. He inquires of the Lord. Look at this. Shall I go and attack the Philistines? When's the last time that you asked God for direction? When's the last time you asked God, should I do this or should I not do this? Should I go this way or should I go that way? Should I make this decision or not make this? When was the last time David made this a lifelong habit and practice that served him so, so well? In fact, when David didn't inquire of the Lord, it always seemed to get him into trouble. If you will ask God for advice, God will give you direction. He will. So just do it. A lot of times I don't do it, and I think, I don't do it because I think, how am I going to hear it from God? How's he going to tell me? Is it going to be a sign in the sky? And then when he does tell me, I'll be like, was it his voice? And so a lot of times I don't ask God because I'm worried about 
me hearing from him and acknowledging and knowing that it was him. But David got in this habit, and look at this, the Lord answered him. If you will inquire of the Lord in your decision-making, God will answer you. He answered him. He said, go attack the Philistines and save this town. Now his men <laughs> got very nervous. I haven't thrown it up here on the screen. Got very nervous because they were going back towards Saul again. They were putting themselves at risk. And you know what David did? He inquired. He did it a second time. God, are you sure that this is what you want me to do? And God answered him again, just like he did with Gideon. It's okay to ask God a couple of times to make absolutely sure that you've heard from the Lord. It's good. God's fine. He's not going to get upset with you for continually asking him for direction and advice. So again, a God, God answers him. And so through all of this, David learned to inquire of the Lord and be led of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes it takes our back being against the wall for us to take that step and start asking for God's leadership in our lives. Unfortunately, we're, I'm so hard-headed. I'm so prideful. I am. I'm, I'm telling you about myself. I want to do it myself. I want to figure it out myself. But sometimes God allows me to get cornered so that I'll start looking up to him and saying, God, show me what to do. So let's look at this. Seven things that we've covered today that you can do when your back's against the wall. The first is do what you've got to do. You know, you've got to make tough decisions. Ask for God's direction. I'm not saying do it on your own. But a lot of times the, the decision's right there in front of you. You know you've got to do it, but you're paralyzed. So do what you've got to do. Ask for what's holy. Get desperate and get bold with God and say, God, give me wisdom. God, give me healing. God, give me, give me whatever you have. God, give it to me. Ask for what's holy. Quickly reverse any rash decisions that you've made. Take the opportunity to be reconciled. All right, these tough decisions. A funeral, it's amazing how it brings people together. Oftentimes, funerals also <laughs> breaks people apart. But it's amazing how funerals tough times brings people together and they can be reconciled so take that opportunity listen to godly advice take responsibility for things but don't overly blame yourself you got enough stress in your life without worrying about collateral damage and finally learn to inquire of the lord and be led of the holy spirit paul if you'll just play some music lord jesus we just come before you right now and lord we're so grateful Lord Jesus, for this opportunity to be together in your presence. Lord, with your word, this wasn't my word. I'm not smart enough to come up with this stuff, Lord. This is you, Lord God, giving us practical...